Section 7 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 19. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Adrian Stevens. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 19. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 7. Old Jupe, or How to Win a Western Vote. Come, Earth, said an old hunter. A sheriff ought always to be able to tell a good story that he may amuse a fellow when he is making him shell out. Let us see what you can do in that way. Time enough, said Earth, when I am elected, but at present I must knock about to see if I cannot pick up a vote or two. The best way to pick up votes, Earth, replied an acquaintance, is to tell a good story. "'Very well, then, Jack,' said Earth, addressing the last speaker. "'Make a ring and give me fair play, and I will tell one. "'And whether it be good or bad, I leave you all to judge. "'It shall be the truth. "'That is, it shall be something that happened to me at some time of my life. "'And if after telling it you don't vote for me, if I don't lick you, "'I will agree never to take another coon hunt.' "'Then whack away!' said Jack. Well, 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 once upon a time, began Earth. And what happened then? asked one of the group. Why, so many things have happened to me, said Earth, since I've been rooting about these woods, that I hardly know what to tell, or which will interest most. Then tell us of the time that you floated down the Ohio, well, well, said Earth, bursting out in a loud laugh. I will tell that, for I had almost clean forgot it. But I was in a predicament, wasn't I? Tell us the story, and we shall be able to judge, said an old hunter, who, standing near, was leaning on his rifle. Do begin, Earth, and make no more preparation. You take as long to get underway as a man does who breaks a yoke of young steers or greases a pair of cartwheels before he sets out upon his journey. Then I'm off, old man, said Earth, but I must take a running start and begin again. Well, 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 once upon a time I'd taken my old bitch Jupiter that you have often heard me tell of, Oh, Jupe was a nice thing. I had taken her along and gone off on a bear hunt, had been absent two or three weeks, and had wandered very far from home. I was a venturesome lad in those days, and never better satisfied than when alone in the wild woods I had worked my way down into the fork formed by the emptying of the Cumberland into the Ohio River, and I had worried the bears right badly. I had had rare sport. Old Jupe was in good humour, and she and I was mighty loving, for she had fought some fights which I never can forget, and which made me love her like a new flint, and she loved me as if I was a bacon bone, for I had helped her out of some of her difficulties, when it would have been a gone case if I hadn't been present. I say difficulties, for I never did see a dog so tired as she was. 
I do believe during some of these fights that I am now talking about, I saw the bears hug her until they stretched her out into a long string. Yes, I've seen them squeeze her until she wasn't larger than my arm and at least nine or ten feet long. You might have wound her up into a ball, just as you would have done a bank of yarn. Then they must have killed her, Earth, said one of the group. You know nothing about it, said Earth. Don't interrupt me, but I am good for your vote. Then, turning to the crowd, ain't it so, gentlemen? Don't you forget it first on me? Certainly, was the reply. Then I've already made two votes, said Earth. All now cried, Go on, Earth, go on with your story. Well, said Earth, he stopped me something about the bears killing Jupe. Now, old Jupe wasn't of that breed of dogs at all, for when she was stretched out in a string, or even tangled up in a knot, I would shoot the bear, draw her off to one side, throw a little cold water over, leave her, and go to butchering. In an hour, or sometimes it would take longer, she would begin to come together like a jointed snake, and presently she would fetch a yelp and come streaking it to me, shaped as she ought to be, showing her teeth and looking as fresh as if she was a new-made dog. And then, wasn't she vigorous? Yes. Who says she wasn't? You might have hung a cross-cut saw to a swinging limb, and she would have chewed upon it the balance of the day, or have thrown her a bear's head, and she wouldn't touch the meat but draw all the teeth out merely for spite. But there was one thing I noticed about old Jupe. Whenever the bear stretched her out into a string, she always lost her appetite for the remainder of the day. Well, old Jupe and I was down there, and we had been doing pretty much what I'd been telling you, when one day the bear spun her out rather longer than usual, and she got cut so badly that we had to rest during the whole of the evening. I was sorry for old Jupe, but didn't care much about having to stop myself, for I was right tired and wanted rest, and having seen hard times that week. The sun, I suppose, was about an hour high, and I was sitting down under a big tree nursing old Jupe, and trying to see if I couldn't set her upon our legs again, when she raised her nose and snuffed the air, then looked in my face and whined. As she did this, I saw the hair upon her back begin to rise. I knew that there was danger in the wind, and from what old Jupe had told me, I thought the redskins were about. The engines were not so rife then as they had been. It was the fall before Squire Ralph came out from the old state, but people had to keep sharp lookout for they would come down upon the settlements once in a while, and they were mighty apt to carry off someone's hair with them. Well, as soon as old Jupe spoke to me, I looked about and seed five coming along in the direction in which I was. They was well loaded, and I knowed at once that they had been down upon the settlements and were now making their way to the river that they might cross over and get clear. Although I saw them, I knew they hadn't seen me, so I gathered up my things to start off, without thinking that old Jupe was so badly cut she couldn't follow. When I was ready, I looked at old Jupe. She tried to get up, but couldn't. 
My eyes felt watery, for I hated to leave her, and I hadn't a minute to spare. But old Jupe was a sensible dog. Yes, as I said before, she was a nice thing, for without speaking a word, she poked her nose under the leaves, as much as to say, cover me up and leave me. I did so, and getting a tree between me and the engines, I streaked it. You ought to have seen me run, to know how fast a man ought to move when engines are after him. Well, after streaking it a while, I thought it would never do to get off that way, and know nothing about him. So I began to haul in my horns and back a little. I got behind a tree and kept a sharp lookout. Presently I seed them all coming straight toward me, so I buckled off again and went for some distance like a bear through a cane break, and then stopped and took a stand. I hadn't been there long before I seed them come in again. The reason why I saw them so often was that I kept before them, and knowing that they were making straight for the river, I watched them narrowly, looked at them with both eyes wide open, and saw they didn't seem to have any notion of me. They were putting it down fast and heavy that they might get across. It was now getting dark, and I knew that under cover of the night, as they did not suspect anybody was near them, I could keep close enough to watch them without their knowing it, and this I determined to do, thinking that by possibly something might happen to pay me for my trouble. You all know I never spared an engine. No, there don't breathe one who can say I ever showed him any favour. Well, I kept on before him until I got down upon the river bank. I was then quite dark and growing more so every minute, for a fog was rising from the surface of the water. I looked about to see if they had a boat there, thinking if they had one I could take it and let them get across as they could. I was searching longer than I thought for, and didn't know how the time passed, and suddenly I heard them coming down the river at the very point where I was. I was now scared and looked about me to see if I could get out of the way, but there was no place to hide, and it was too late to escape, either up or down the bank. I'm a gone case, thought I, used up at last, but just at that moment I saw a large log or tree which had been lodged by some high freshet, for one end of it still rested on the bank, while the other extended out into the stream. Said I to myself, I'll get upon this, for it is so dark they can't see me, and I can then keep a bright lookout upon their movements. So I stepped on it and crawled along to the far end. I found out that the log was floating, and getting as near the small end as I could, I straddled it, putting my legs in the water to steady me, and laid my rifle across my lap. Oh, that it would but float off, said I but it wouldn't. Down to the water they all came and stood about fifteen or twenty feet of me. It is all over now, thought I. If discovered, I am used up as fine as salt. If I ain't, there is no taste in a rough Simon. Well, there they stood in a good humour, laughing and talking about I hardly know what, for I couldn't catch many of their words. At last I heard one of them say in Shawnee, Where is the canoe? It must be close by. Step upon the lock and find it. Hold my gun, answered one of them, and passing it to one of his friends, he stepped upon the log and began to walk right to where I was. 
Now, didn't I squat low and feel mean? But, hush, he hadn't got far before another must jump on to help him find the boat. This last one had only walked a few steps when the log slipped, and splash, it came right in the river with the two engines. They both held on, though they got a little wet, and the first thing I knowed, the log was going out into the stream with all three of us on it. I was slanting at first, and slipped, got pushed off. Those on shore set up a loud laugh, and they wouldn't hear anything until it was too late to give any help. But for those on the log, it was no joke, for they was already out in the stream, and going down it with a smart current. They now hallowed manfully for help, and those on shore, seeing how it was, told them to hold on, that they would find the boat and take them off. Well, have I often told you, I have seen hard times. Now, wasn't here a predicament? On a log with two engines, and floating along at night down the Ohio. Well, sure enough, there I was. And what did I think of? Why, of everything in the world. It really made me feel right naughty, and what to do I didn't know. We had now floated two or three hundred yards, and I was sitting, as I told you before, straddled on the log end, just as silent as a deer listening for the dogs, thinking how the affair would terminate, when one of the engines, who was standing upon the log, slipped off upon one of the limbs to make room for his companion. His stepping caused the log to cream me in the water, and forgetting where I was and what I was about, I cried, Stop! Stop! You'll turn me over! Zones, said I to myself, it is all over now, clean gone this time. How the engines looked, I don't know, for it was so dark I couldn't see their faces, but they must have been worse scared than I was, for I knew who they were, and they didn't know who or what I was. They kept muttering about something very fast, and I thought they was going to quit the log and streak it, but after a few minutes... They became silent and began peeping toward where I was, like a couple of turkeys looking for worms. And then one said, Don't you see something? Yes, answered the other, Dark lump, bear, perhaps. And the other, who first spoke, cried out, Who's there? I didn't answer, but I growed small so fast, trying to squeeze myself out of sight, that my skin hung as loose as if it was a big jacket. They kept peeping at me, and I heard one say, It is no bear, it is a man, look at his head. When I heard him say so, I was so mad, I wished my head was under the log, but then I thought if it was, I wouldn't be any better off than I was then. So I straightened up and I knowed they'd seen me, and I thought twa'n't worth while to play possum any longer. Well, when I straightened up, he cried out again, Who's there? I am here, said I, speaking in his own language. The moment I spoke, he laughed, and said to the other, He is a pale face. How could he tell that, Earth? inquired another of the group. You say it was dark and a fog was rising. I've got you, Jin, said Earth. Then, pausing, he began to count on his fingers, saying, That is four, no, three, now, don't forget, Jim. Go on, go on, Earth, cried half a dozen voices. Well, 
The reason he knowed me so quick was that he seed I didn't speak the real Injun. After he had told the other that I was a pale face, he turned to me and said, "'What you doing there?' "'Setting down straddle on the small end,' said I. When I said this, they burst out into a laugh. I myself was in no laughing humour, and it didn't sound to me like a laugh, but like a sort of chuckle, and one said to the other, "'Here's a pale face, a lean dog, sleeping on a log. We did catch him good.' and saying thus, they put their hands to their mouth and gave the war whoop. Well, I tell you what, it was an awful sound, and then they told their companions on shore that a pale face was on the log with them to get the boat and come quick. Those on the shore answered them and ran laughing down the river looking for the boat and keeping along with the log. I now found that I must go at the old work, and my bristles began to rise. Come here, said one of them, beckoning to me. Come quick, before the others come. I want your hair. What did he mean by that? said one, who, with the most fixed attention, had been standing by eagerly, devouring all the earth had been telling. Why, he wanted to scalp me. But recollect, if you please, I have your vote too, said Earth, again pausing an instant. That is five no, four. Well, when he called me to him to let him have my air, I couldn't stand it any longer, but throwing up my rifle, blazed away. He jumped up like a buck and fell splash in the water. My rifle made a mighty pretty noise, and I heard the report rolling away for miles up and down the river. As soon as I fired, the engines on the bank also screamed the war whoop, and the feller on the log cried out to him to bring his gun. I jumped up and crawled at him. He gathered up an old limb and stood his ground. The first thing I knowed, he came down upon me all in a heap, breaking the old limb into a dozen pieces over my head and shoulders. It was a good thing for me that the limb wasn't sound. His blow staggered me, but I soon rose up and, seizing my rifle with both hands, brought him a side swipe with the barrel. As I did this, he slipped off the log in the water, I then hit him another lick, and stooping quickly down, seized him by the head as he tried to crawl up upon the log. I was now upon the log, and he in the water, so I had him at a disadvantage. Well, I kept bobbing his head under. When I first did it, the bubbles came up just like you were filling a bottle with water. You know, after a bottle is full, it won't bubble. Well, I kept bobbing his head under until he wouldn't bubble so he concluded he was full of water, and then let him go. He went down to the bottom, and I never seed him any more. All was now quiet, for both engines had sank, and I was master of the log. But I had yet another struggle to make, for I heard the engines on shore push off their boat and seed the water splash as they darted toward me. It was too late to load, and then I could kill but one. That wouldn't do, no. The only hope was to hide. So I took out a string and, placing my rifle in the water, lashed it to the log. I then threw away my hat and, crawling as far as I could go toward the small end, eased myself gently down into the water, leaving nothing out but my head and holding on with both ends by a small limb another minute and the canoe grated as it ran upon the log. The engines looked about 
and spoke to each other, but I could see nothing. They then called their companions by name, but there was no answer. They were now very distressed, and all got out upon the log and began to walk about and examine it. When they came to the end where I was, I sunk altogether, and it being the small end of the log, it began to sink, and the engine soon went back. I then threw my head back and put my mouth out that I might breathe, just as a crippled duck sometimes does its bill. I made no noise. It was dark, and they could not see me, and all went well. I heard them say, they must have killed him, and then that, they are all gone. They seemed very much distressed, wondered much at the whole affair, and none could explain it. After about fifteen minutes, they again stepped into their boat and pushed off. I waited until I could hear nothing of them, then crawled up upon the log, as I did not wish to run any farther risk. I sat there till daybreak. The sun was just about to rise when the log which I was on washed up against the bank, not far from where the Ohio empties into the Mississippi. I caught hold of some bushes and pulled the log up alongside the bank and loosened my rifle and got out. I had been in the water so long that I was mighty weak and I was shriveled up, but as I began to stir about I felt better and setting off, I went back up the river to where I started upon the log. The first thing I seed upon getting back was old Jupe sitting on the bank waiting for me at the very spot where the lock had slipped off. The thing wanted to lick me all over. She was so glad to see me. I was then right tired, so I started off home, and in about a week or two, Jupe and I arrived there safe and sound, and that is the end of my story. Well, Earth, said one of the company, you are all sorts of a looking critter. Yes, said Earth, I know that. I am a ring-striped, speckled and streaked, but I ain't thinking about that. I'm thinking about the votes. Now, gentlemen, continued Earth, don't you think they ought to make me sheriff? I say, if Bob Black has floated farther on a log, killed more engines, or stayed longer under the water than I have, elect him. If not, I say, what has he done to qualify him for the office of sheriff? I have killed more bears than Bob could eat if they were coons, and I have fought some harder fights than Bob ever saw. Now, I say again, tell me what has he done that he ought to be made sheriff? Did any of you ever know him call for a quart? I never did. I have known him to call for several half-pints in the course of a day, but I never did know him to step forward manfully and say, Give us a quarter of your best. Then I say again, What has Bob Black done to qualify him for sheriff? Now, if you beat me, beat me with somebody, beat me with a man who knows something which ought to qualify him for sheriff, and not with Bob Black. Bob can't tell you this minute when a bear begins to suck his paws. Then, apparently disgusted with the character and acquirements of his competitor, Earth turned away to seek other company. As he did so, one of the group, who had taken more than his proportion of a quart, staggered forward and cried out, Hurrah for Earthquake! I tell you what, he's a squealer! End of section 7